All right, guys, welcome back to the Fitness and Philosophy podcast. My name is Robbie Gustin, and I'm joined, as always, by OPEX founder and owner, James Fitzgerald. James, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. I was just about to wave, but I guess some people won't see the wave, so we're waving. Hi, everyone. Um, how have you been doing? I've been good. Thank you for giving me a second to reflect upon that. Um, I'm shaved. I shaved my head and body and face. Everything's fully shaved today, so... For those who uh, know that feeling or can connect to it somehow, which you don't, obviously, Robbie, um, uh, I feel really good. I feel fast today. So I think you're great up here. And uh, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but this week you reached your 10,000th workout. Yes, man. uh, Thank you so much. That was a seminal moment. Seminal moment in this meat sack called James Fitzgerald. And uh, me, me being on this fast spinning planet, that was pretty cool. Um, I spent a lot of time on it. For those who don't know, I, I just have kept training log, logs and figured out, like, tried to calculate how many times I've done a workout since I started rehabbing my knee um, or rehabbing my leg, sorry, when I was 18. And I think it was around 10,000. So um, I reached that the other day, and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Like just, yeah, just even the concept of like 10,000 workouts, just yeah, yeah. over that long span time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Maybe we need to have a, uh, you know, somehow construct philosophy inside of that. Maybe <laughs> uh, I have a podcast just based upon that alone, you know, cause I got yeah. lots, of th- I got lots of things to share on, you know, uh, which, which I'll talk a little bit about today of, uh, you know, the, uh, um, competency and expertise and experience and like how all that fits together, right? It is something that does fit together. Um, and like you and I've talked about all the time and some of our listeners may understand there's an experience component to fitness that has to be felt, you know, and observed in order for you to gain exposure to things that allow you to prescribe, you know? And so you can imagine if there's thousands of those iterations, you learn a lot. So it's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, it's the exact opposite of the uh, like four-hour body and the twenty-one day. I mean, yeah, focusing more on the long game. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's not let's not make it a secret here. You know that's yeah. why I'm virtue signaling that. <laughs> it's no secret. It's right. a long game, okay? <laughs> it's a long game approach. That's the whole idea around it, you know. And I, I, uh, you know, the sad thing though, not to end it on that note, but I had this realization on our knowledge series call the other day is that I only have like 4,000 or so left. Yeah, I heard you say that. I was like, that was that, sad. That was, a, that was a punch in the throat right then. Uh, but then, of course, it wasn't Brandon, but one of my other coaches, Sean McCullough, who said, uh, um, oh, no, he, he made me think about it. He didn't say it, but I was like, well, I can do doubles or triples now every day. I can get, <laughs> get 12,000. <laughs> yeah, for the rest of it. But anyways, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe I'll start uh, start counting my walks with my wife and dog as uh, my exercise sessions, and then as your workouts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> add it up. Well, congrats yeah. again. That's really cool. Yeah. How about you? Uh, good. Yeah. Overall, uh, doing pretty good. Um, Clear-minded. Yeah. Went uh, kayaking last weekend, and that was pretty cool. Isn't that uh, so much fun? It's really fun. I. Uh, yeah, Brennan and I went together to the local beach and it was, it was really nice. Um, 
by the way, I saw in your stories, like, man, I don't know if it's just the pictures you're taking or your phone, but like when you are on, if it's a lake or a river, but it's just like crystal clear and it's so cool looking. Yeah, that's my mornings here on the, uh, the, it's, the it's called Mill River. It's a part of Spokane River that feeds into Lake Coeur d'Alene. And uh, I'm up at uh, five-ish. And uh, just after that, I mean, there's no one out there. The sun has been up for half hour and it's just like nothing, just animals you know, and wind. <laughs> um, and so that's what you get. That's what you see is, is what I get to see. And I love capturing that more so um, uh, for my own memories too, right? Like, cause I, I go back and listen to it and uh, you can just hear the birds chirping and like just, just being in that solemn, you know, area. And it was beautiful, right? Yeah. But doing kayak enables you to do that, right? Yeah. It's, it's, Definitely. It's something that I didn't think of too much around this area. Like I, I did it when I used to live in California, but I started doing it more around here and it's just tremendously relaxing, enjoyable. Yeah. Great way to be out in nature. Yeah. Yeah. There's some freedom elements to it as well. Right. Yeah. And just getting out and not knowing where you're going and just like setting a path. It's kind of cool. Yeah. 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 I agree. And just so people know, we're talking about just like, recreational just moving along the water right this is not like <laughs> level two three or four white water yeah not uh i think kelly started used to be like a professional kayaker or something like oh wow like Canyon and stuff like that and, yeah um, yeah yeah i had clients who did marathons right some some folks did some stuff in boats for over long distances on that i'm, I'm not talking about that although i went for like on uh, over 90 minutes the other day and that was that was pretty cool that's a whole different experience too, right? Sitting down and constant movement. And, you know, you can imagine my mind, you know, about the contractions and fatigue rate and sustainability and all these things are playing through my head. So it was pretty cool. Cause I've, I've rehearsed like running with that, you know, and now it's like a different cyclical modality, which has a different power time curve, which has a different fatigue point, which has a different, you know, uh, arousal and different kinds of focus. And so it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's definitely a different stimulus, but it, it's, yeah. it's really enjoyable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The kayak. Cool. Are we ready to talk about some science? Yeah, some science and some fitness. Science and some fitness. So uh, for those of you listening, James and I were just talking about this. This topic obviously is gigantic, and we could and probably will talk about many different topics related to science and fitness. The purpose of this first call is just to kind of get the conversation started. Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll kind of delve deeper from there. Um, but before we get to the connection between science and fitness, I wanted to discuss how philosophy plays a role in that discussion. So point number one is philosophy is typically thought of as the discipline that explores the connection between different disciplines. It's, it's the meta discipline. It's the one that sits over the others and kind of, um, you know, it's a, it's a backseat driver <laughs> sits back and says, Oh, it's cool. What you're doing there. How does that relate to this? And how do these two connect? So, you know, there's that Wilfred Seller's quote that I mentioned in the first episode where he says, philosophy answers the question, how do things in the broadest sense of the term hang together in the broadest sense of the term? And he has a whole lot more in mind there than just the connection between disciplines, but that's definitely part of what he's getting at. Is there an is there an argument for um, there being another route to uh, understand the differences between disciplines that 
is argumentative in philosophy or against philosophy for that being the meta discipline? You mean another discipline holding that title? Yeah, I think I was just talking about a meta meta, but uh, like, is there, <laughs> is there, uh, yeah, it's just, is there any argument to it, it holding the, holding the keys to looking at the, the two of any two disciplines? Or is that actually, is it impossible to actually name it anything other than philosophy as being that meta discipline? I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with historical circumstance and things that used to be philosophy, like, you know, what Newton did was natural philosophy, and then it peeled off and it became physics. So I think okay. a lot of it is more historical accident than it is, um, you know, they're necessarily being a strong argument for it. But I do think there's at least some argument for it in the sense that philosophy is that discipline that kind of stands back and asks, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, therefore the structure of it would put it into perfect position to do this. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. But I don't think it, you know, we don't want to be dogmatic about it. I don't think it's the, yeah. the only possible one. There could be others, but yeah. You know, yeah. for now it's the contender. Yeah, well, I guess the others would be that you would just you not you wouldn't do like you're gonna discuss compare and contrast or look at the connection. You would just put them in silos and discuss either. Right. Yeah. That would be it. Yeah. Yeah, and there. I mean, there's sometimes where I mean, people within religion or people within science. You know, there are plenty of scientists who write about science and its relation to religion. But typically, when you're looking up like the relationship between science and religion, if you're looking at books or articles on that, it's typically philosophy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So philosophy, generally speaking, is, you know, the subject that asks uh, and tries to answer questions like, how does morality relate to religion? Are they the same? Are they different? Um, can, be, can one be moral without being religious? Um, and where does morality come from? Um, how do politics relate to sociology? Uh, how does the just society relate to, you know, how people interact? Um, how does science relate to religion and morality? That's a famous one. And then how do free will and consciousness relate to science? That's a big one these days. That's a whole other conception of philosophy that we'll probably talk about where we have these cherished beliefs over here about love and meaning and free will and consciousness that do not seem to jibe very well with, you know, the void and matter hurling through it according to laws. And how do we connect these two and what do we have to give up and what don't we and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about that, not only in the future, but a little bit of it today in a real world situation for um, that for fitness. Awesome. Yeah. And then the second point is that there's a whole branch of philosophy called philosophy of science that investigates deep and fundamental questions about science. So scientists go out and do science and in a lot of ways they wouldn't be able to do science if philosophers were constantly on their back asking these questions about, hey, what are you doing? But it does become very worthwhile, especially when theories change, uh, as Thomas Kuhn pointed out, um, that the, these questions are being asked about the fundamental concepts of a particular science. Um, you know, what's the status of the laws of nature? That's a famous question. Are they just exceptionalist generalizations or are they things that can't be broken? Um, is a scientific theory tested in its whole against experience every single time you have an experiment or is it just one proposition that's being tested? Um, is the scientific method objective and rational? Science proceeds as if it is 
but sometimes we have to sit back and ask, is it? Um, what counts as evidence or data? This is taken for granted um, in science, but you know, we have to ask, especially with things like neutrinos and you know, blips on a screen that we see now, it's, it's, not like, um, it's not like Galileo where you were doing these bodies that you could very clearly see in front of your eyes dropping at a particular rate. What counts as data now is a different thing and um, we have to ask, you know, what sorts of things are allowed as confirmation of a theory or evidence against the theory, things of that nature. Yeah, I think the, um, the philosophy of science, it's probably pertinent, and I wanna make it sound like we're in, a, in an age of, of, of time where it's like a, a really you know, special period, but um, I think it is only based upon what my readings would be or just my own context of history but um, it's far more important that the philosophy of science um, exists today uh, because of um, it was it was it was always embedded because the deepest definition of science was for um, you know going after the truth and doing whatever is necessary, even through refute and you know uh, trying to be disproven um, to still hunt after you know, two times two equaling four, you know, to go after what that is, right? And philosophy existed in all of that practice because it's, it was basically embedded inside to ask questions like, are you really sure that you think what you hypothesize is really true? Because that's, that's a philosophical question, right? Um, but I think that that's what I'm saying even more so to today, it's highly important because, um, yeah, as I mentioned uh, earlier before our call, and we, we will, you know, discuss it. I don't know if it's really right now relative to where philosophy of science exists and science is defined, but um, it's really hard to grasp uh, what is true and what is real because we're not, we're not willing to take that patience and time to ask those questions, which is ironically part of the whole scientific process. I mean, currently to today, Robbie, right? So yes. um, I think... Uh, philosophy of science needs to be again, um, you know, it's funny that we actually need to make it languaged and be aware of that uh, we're discussing it. So, um, yeah, I just think it's very, my, my whole point is I think it's fairly important for 2020 that we make that aware like that. That was always a part of the process. Um, it was always part of the process. And now we have to be like steadfast in continuing to ask those questions. Right. Uh, so when we mentioned something, so you and I mentioned something based upon a theory of fitness as an example, um, that has to be, you got to ask questions on that to ensure that we really are on the right pathway to try to find observable truths, right? And that's what yeah. science was. It always was that, right? Science right. never was never put together to answer questions, right? Science was put together to just go after things, right? And just allow a method to determine, you know, what is, what is right, you know, so... Yeah, and I mean, there are a lot of um, physicists even today who actually are make, you know, making similar points to the ones you're making where they argue for the importance of philosophy of science today. Like there's something that's been lost. So for example, you know, in the transition from Newton to Einstein, like people could explain and predict things really well with Newton's universal law of gravitation. But at a certain point, what was actually going on broke down and Einstein 
you know, in addition to doing science, had to ask deep philosophical questions about like, what is the nature of this thing? Mm-hmm. You know, in Newton, it was just eh, spooky action at a distance. We're not quite sure how it works, but we can predict it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you have these deeper um, thinkers that come along and kind of um, help develop the concept more. So, you know, doing what, again, what uh, there's this famous uh, philosopher, Thomas Kuhn, who wrote the book uh, Structure of Scientific Revolutions, um, where he argues that, you know, there's normal science where, you know, scientists go about their day-to-day business, but then theories break down at a certain point. And when that point comes around, um, philosophy and deeper thinking about the central concepts of a science is necessary to move past, to, to, to gain further ground and getting access to the yeah. truth. Yeah. So, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> well, that'll, that'll bump up against uh, some of the issues that it proposes in the way for fitness when we get there. So, <laughs> cause there's, yeah. Um, what you heard in there is, you know, um, there has to be a system in place. There has to be a pathway. There has to be regulation. There has to be some kind of questions. There has to be at least some construct of what this thing is we're talking about. If you, and if there isn't no construct, then it's hard to wrap your hands around any science of it, you know? Right. So, but anyways, it's not, doesn't yeah. mean we're not going to ask the questions though. No, definitely not. Um, so those questions that I mentioned above obviously will connect to what we're talking about in fitness, but three others that really, really will connect to uh, what we're talking about is that are asked in philosophy of science. What can science tell us and what can't it tell us? Um, James and I were just discussing that this may be a whole episode next time on just what can science contribute to fitness and what can it not contribute to fitness? There's a whole experiential element that just, you know, maybe it has something to say and maybe it, it, it doesn't have something to say. So what are the boundaries and limits of what it can tell us? Uh, one that's really going to be useful today, I think, uh, just to maybe frame the conversation, whether we choose to use this distinction or not, what's the difference between the so-called hard sciences, things like physics and chemistry, which seem to have clearer answers, more hard and definite rules and laws, and things like psychology and, and sociology and you know, when we discuss this, we can say, hey, maybe we toss the distinction out or maybe we say it's more soft or a combination, but just even asking the question about the study of fitness, what sort of thing is it, I think will be useful. Yeah. Yeah, so can the study of fitness be a science? The main, yeah. <laughs> that's the main, that's the big main question right now. And then further, we can talk about how they're going to work together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then last question that will, we, again, this might be in its own episode, but it will relate to what we're talking about. There's a whole discussion in philosophy of science about what distinguishes science from pseudoscience. What makes us trust, you know, physics as opposed to astrology? Um, or, you know, there are other examples, but that's just kind of an easy one that most people understand. Um, so, you know, what distinguishes things that purport to be science, but are not in fact, and do not deliver us closer to the truth and things that do deliver us closer to the truth. Yeah. Would, uh, would empirical or observational stuff fit into pseudoscience in a classification? Uh, what did you have in mind? Uh, just the, some of the happenings in fitness, right? Like a lot of the things we have to observe and see take place, but it's not in a, you know, it's not in a well-established controlled um, setting. Maybe. I think typically what someone intends by pseudoscience is like it, it's one thing if something doesn't claim to be, 
it would only be the issue if it claims to be, but is not. Okay, got it. Got it. So, you know, if we say, you know, the ear, for example, the experiential element of fitness is just maybe irreducible, or it's, you know, that, that consciousness aspect that goes to each person. I don't know that that's making a claim to science, although it could be, but it's more things that would try to make a claim to science that would, in fact, fail the test. Got it. So, um, okay. So, anything to add there before we go on to questions? No, no. I think we've uh, clearly stated uh, that we just want to, you know, get at that bigger question of can it be studied, um, and maybe. You know, I'm not sure if that's where, where we'll lead it, but uh, in order to study it, we got to probably define it first, you know? Right. Yeah. And which we tried. Right. Well, I, I think, yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I want to go next. So just like we've done in all previous episodes with truth or knowledge, like we could do multiple episodes on what is fitness and what is science, but I want to give us something to like hold on to a little bit just to, yeah. Um, have some reference points. So science, um, you know, if we just want to have some basic definition of science, you know, the dictionary definition is the observation, identification, um, description, and experimental investigation of phenomena, natural phenomena. So key features that, you know, if you guys are listening, um, you can just latch onto. It's an investigation into natural things going on. A really crucial part that distinguishes science from other things is science is an attempt to explain and predict. And I'm sorry if you're hearing loud thunder in the background. It is uh, storming where we are. No, no. <laughs> um, to explain and predict. That's key. Yeah, that's key. So science attempts to say, why is this particular thing happening? Like the apple falling from the tree or the moon orbiting the earth but not just explain, but also try to predict in the future what will, what will happen. Mm. And then in terms of its method, it uses hypotheses and experiments to get closer to the truth via scientific theories. Now, it's a common misconception that I dealt with all the time when I used to teach philosophy classes. People colloquially, colloquially in English, people think theory means like good guess, mm -hmm. when really it means... Um, interwoven structure of experimental data that has explanatory and predictive power, like mm -hmm. theory of evolution yeah. or, um, yeah. you know, universal gravitation. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the general thing that people will say, be like, yeah, yeah, that's a theory. That's how right. they'll answer it back. It's like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, think we're, I think we've defined theory differently, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Hmm. So that's some basics on science. And then fitness, you know, like James said, for those of you uh, who haven't maybe heard him yet, we have two full episodes, episodes one and two of this podcast on uh, what is fitness. So if you're interested in the full details of that, you can check that out. But today I just want to distinguish between the practice of fitness, like hiking, squatting weight, completing a mixed modal workout in the study of fitness, like what's the best way to develop muscular strength? Or how long can a human being sustain true glycolytic activity? Or how does one properly fuel the oxidative system? Most of what we're going to talk about today is the study of fitness and can that be a science? But we will also end up talking about the practice of fitness, probably, probably some today, but especially in the next episode where we talk about how do science and fitness relate? How much overlap is there and how much not? 
Yeah. All right, and then that's pretty much it as far as a preface. So I guess the first question we can get to is, is the study of fitness even capable of becoming a proper science? <laughs> um, um, there, I have, you know, <clears throat> the thing that I immediately think about is uh, the challenge of what is powerful inside of science in reducing things down to make them controllable across a bunch of individuals and how, um, you know, so I've moved past the point that we've somehow have a definition of fitness. So we, we get to that, you know, fitness being uh, physical expression to live a large life. Okay. So I've just reduced even that to a definition of it. But if that is the case, um, I think the, the, it's really tough to create um, the correct practice of science application um, to, to fitness being so broad. That's where I'll start as being a really challenging one. Um, like we have to be super generalized. I wrote down, uh, I wrote down generalizations without consider considering experience and expression ability. Like, how do you create these studies <laughs> to, to extrapolate uh, and create explanations when you're, when it's such a broad and deep category, Robbie, of a person's physical experience and their expression ability. Just think about the, <laughs> the like, it blows my mind, the continuum of, how a 16 year old biologically, psychologically, sociologically reacts and thinks as a simple experiment compared to um, Donald Trump. <laughs> you know, like just think of the man, right? And man, do you think, you think we're gonna like put fitness somehow inside of there that could be, that could be, you know, studied as just a generalization? That's the first place I go. So maybe you can help me remedy something, something around just that first point, but that's, that's where I initially go with this issue of studying it. Yeah. And I can, I can see that as a, a problem. So you're, you know, it, you're missing a huge part of the experiential aspect of the practice of fitness as I, as I take it, that's what you're saying. Uh, I'm thinking more along the lines of, well, yeah, no, that's included in it. I'm just thinking along the lines of like, if the ultimate goal of studying fitness through scientific practice is to get to some predictions and explanations and observable phenomenon that we could like latch onto and, and say something about, you know, we're, we're not just, we're, we're not just thinking about this. That just goes off in the periphery, right? We're talking about humans actually in this practice, right? right physical beings. Right. And that's where I think it becomes really challenging. It's the, it's the generalizations that we'd like to say, right? Like if you do leg curls, your legs will get stronger. You know what I'm saying? But it's like not for everyone. And if, if you see, I'm saying like, well, what do you mean by that? Well, someone who's been doing them for 30 years, do you see what I'm saying? So it's the, right. it's this putting science inside of this super broad category that I'm hoping you can help me with maybe with an analogy of another area that that's, that's how they, that's how they come to an understanding of even making those generalizations valid. Um, you know, and, and, uh, 
if it, or if it's or if it's the case everywhere, you know. But I but I think it's not like, and I'll give you a, give you a point of reference for it. Um, there's some phys- physical phenomena or study in physics that is generalized across all areas. It just to me, it just makes sense. You know, that's a scientific um, phenomenon or law, I guess, that fell into place. Um, and in biology, like, you know, um, mitochondria or the cell, cell study, it's like, it's, it's, not, it's not that much different between all humans. So we can create some generalizations in what that mitochondria does and function, you know I'm saying. But right. when, we, when we put science alone and fitness alone, and then we put humans in the mix, Right. And the, how broad they are and deep. That's where I, what I, where I just get stumped in, in creating generalizations. Right. Like you'll get stronger if you lift weights and you see how that's just like, Oh, this comes off our tongue. Right. It's like, right. Well, no, you won't. Not everyone does. <laughs> Why? Because of, because of that, uh, what I called experience and expression ability. So the human factor makes this complex for me to understand. So yeah, the expression bit definitely makes sense. Do you feel like that could also be something that's discovered within science? The fact that, you know, if you do leg curls, you know, past a certain point, you will not get stronger. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I said that, you know, we need to, we need to think about the pluses and the minuses and the unknowns of reducing, like reducing it down to like the hamstring being fatigued in a leg curl. Right. Right. Because when you reduce that down and down and down and down and down, you end up with rat studies, you know, so, and then you just end up with like, um, thoughts, thought studies, you know, and that becomes science, you know what I'm saying? So, um, you know, you put, uh, uh, 35, uh, 54 to 59 year old men through a leg curl study with 25 years of resistance experience. You see how you get something from that. Right. But, how about you take 35 people across the board of all experience and they do leg curls, you know, see what I'm saying. You can't really get a lot from that. Um, right. you know, so um, that's where, that's where I get a little stumped on the generalizations for the human experience. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. And it, it brings up two things that I'm kind of thinking about that I think would be really interesting to discuss. One is, and this is a big area within philosophy of science called reductionism scientific reductionism. So to give people an idea of what this means, you know, sometimes philosophers wonder, is chemistry reducible to physics? And is biology reducible to chemistry? And, you know, basically, can it all be reduced down to mass hurtling through the void? Or are there some other things going on there? So that's one piece that I think would be interesting for us to touch on. And then the second piece is, you know, related to your point, is it that science doesn't currently have the means to assess all these different things we would want to assess inside these experiments, you know, about nervous system activation and thermoregulation and cognitive state and all that stuff. Or is it just that in principle, the very thing we call science in trying to reduce and generalize things is missing this huge component of fitness. Mm. So, um, yeah, you've cracked open a little in my brain there of your first of the former comment on, is it possible there's not enough in place to act as a base support to study that? That's, that's where you cracked open my brain, a little, given a little bit of light to that one. So I appreciate it. Um, and I will waste too much time here today trying to dig further into that one, but I think there's something in that um, just current, 
current uh, technology, current thought process. Yeah, just a way of thinking about how to do that so that you can uh, use what's available to push it across, you know, all boundaries with availability of resources. So yeah, I think you got me there. You got something there. It's possible. It's not, it's possible, but maybe today it's very challenging. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. Yeah. That's good too. Cause that's, that's something else we'll discuss that we discussed a little bit. Um, I forget which episode, but it was basically like, you know, before Newton and Darwin, you know, people were doing physics experiments and biology experiments or things related to it, but were they proper sciences? Mm, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, we need to get to the point that we had devices that were able to measure things in a certain way and we had access to things. So one thing you might be able to say, kind of like what you're saying now about fitness is maybe the study of fitness has the ability to be a proper science. It's just that technologically where we are in 2020 and the way we think about it, we're just not there yet. Yeah. Like the fitzometer that I used to joke about, right? That little machine everyone would put on and uh, they would do a, a group fitness workout at 6 PM some Wednesday night and they'd wake up the next morning and the device would be like, that's aging you buddy. That's aging you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But to, to my point, like maybe we don't have those devices available. If, if you know what we agree, what I agree upon Robbie would be like, you know, this measurement of great consistent mental acuity, um, a device that could tell you if you're going to be capable of physical function for all tasks that are necessary for today. And, you know, um, if there's a device that measures, like if you're going to be able to live a large life, I just think about that. Like, I mean, although that may sound crazy, what you've opened my eyes open to is maybe it's just at this time, because we have a newer definition of it. Um, maybe not a newer definition, but a newer, you know, I guess we'll call it an acceptance, Robbie, <laughs> that we don't need to do fitness to like survive the lion anymore. Um, there, there will be this adjustment period until we get to devices that measure, you know, constant mental acuity, um, physical function capability and being able to live a large, long, you know, effective life. Um, but you never know, there might get to a point where there'll be enough data, which I probably think it is available. <laughs> and I think it's available. I think the story has been done millions and millions of times over, but um, yeah, so it's possible. That's possible. Okay. That's possible. Yeah. Um, the other, other uh, area of issue that I have with the, with it for a study of it is um, uh, we discussed this before. Um, and I think this is what may let us into this discussion. Correct me if I'm wrong, but um the intentions of the study and the intentions of the studies, even if the classification of the pieces of fitness um, are not for long-term vitality. Right. Yeah. That's the, so you could, you could dig deep in terms of, you know, connecting things like we've seen that when people ate broccoli for 20 years, it resulted in this. And then you're like, Oh, that's fitness. So therefore, you know um, but I think most of the intentions inside study up to 2020 has largely been about, um, you know, decreasing fatness, anti-disease or performance. Right. And, um, and therefore it's very challenging to, uh, to propose, you know, to have the intentions and the hypothesis as the start of the study, right. In science of fitness to be like, why are you looking at this? You know, you can just imagine stepping up to the review board, right? We want to look at this for 30 to 45 years. 
maybe two billion in total cost. <laughs> um, you know what I'm saying? It's just like you know, and you've lost them at point two, right? Why? Because it takes that amount of time to like see the whole thing play out. Because what are we going after? The beacon of what our definition is of vitality, right? Not performance or what makes you less fat. It's vitality, and there's just not a lot in there in the in the biological or physical models of science. So I'm not sure if you have any thoughts on where that may stump us for the study of is the intentions are are awry. No, I think that's a great point. I think going back to what we were saying about why is philosophy useful, this is exactly why, because you can generate any sort of data if you have any sort of assumptions. Do you know what I mean? Like True. you can go in and set up an experiment and say, oh, well, I generated all this data. Look at all this stuff on, hey, post-workout nutrition. <laughs> like we discussed the other day, what's the best post-workout supplement? But then you have to, this is where philosophy comes in and steps back and says, well, but why? Why are we talking about that in the first place? Why are we designing experiments? And this is where having relevant concepts like vitality or, you know, figuring out what are the concepts you are trying to investigate. If your central concepts are performance and aesthetics, well, that's going to yield certain results. But if you step back and say, hey, why are those the only two things that we are investigating that will yield, that will yield a whole different um, series of explorations that are not contained within the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. So philosophy will help us um, or that's, you know, it just goes to show the power of that. I'm going to ask more questions to, uh, to figure out what those intentions are. So that makes it positive. It doesn't help us, you know, answer our question today, but it's a positive thing. Um, another issue that you could probably help me remedy is uh, uh, the current time, right? The study of science, not the study of fitness and saying science and fitness goes together. You have to look at it in historical reference and also future you know, possibilities of what that's going to look like, like we'd mentioned previously with what we don't know. But from what we do know, let's just take you know, how, how uh, science... I guess I would say, yeah, you can maybe correct me wrong, but science in the 60s, science in the 70s, science in the 80s, science in the 90s, science 2000, science 2010 up to 2020. Um, today, because of the information age, um, the concepts of uh, ex expertise versus experience um, makes things, makes things, hard to go towards truth and reality. So I think it's a timely issue also. Um, it's a timely issue. 2020 with so much information, Robbie, so much information, we're actually not even really sure. Um, and, and this is not just for a study of science and fitness. I know this to be true, for example, in nutritional sciences, um, there's people that will have 40 years of work on actually spending every working moment uh, disregarding so much fraudulent, shitty studies in nutritional science from like shit journals and sham journals and like bullshit, you know, stuff that's really well put together in order to like scrape and get to real shit that's effective. You know what I'm saying? So this is also a reality inside of fitness today that um, I just think the 
you know, expertise versus experience and what is real um, because of the information shared is really hard to like even wrap, wrap your fingers around that. What's your thoughts on that and how it applies to the study of, of fitness and science, and science and fitness? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a good point. I mean, this happens not just in, in you know, the, the study of fitness, but it happens in all sorts of other sciences yes. where there's, there's these dominant paradigms that um, suck up all the air in the room and people can't even think outside of the relevant concepts in those paradigms. And that kind of delays progress. And then someone comes along and says, well, why were we even thinking that way? Yeah. Well, I think it was your previous point on pseudoscience. I guess that's where, that's where that comes in. Cause there's claims made within pseudoscience ideas inside of fitness today, you know, that is, I would right. say rampant more so than any like truth seeking. Right. You and know, I think I mean, another, I'd say another element there that we'll probably talk about at some point too, you know, there's a sociological component about just the actual literal, and they asked this in philosophy of science too, the literal business of running a study mm-hmm. want to get the funding for such a study and yes. who is funding. Yes. You know, if you're trying to sell shoes and supplements, well, you're going to fund certain yeah. studies so that it's not, we think of science as objective and rational. And I think in its ideal, it really tries to be, but in physics, you're not, you're not trying to sell some shoes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but in well, fitness, sometimes people are trying to sell those bouncy things on the back of uh, the uh, <laughs> airs, right? The air, air max is whatever they're called. Right. Um, but I think that is a relevant thing within the study of fitness is that a lot of the money that goes into setting up these studies in the first place is to drive some sort of um, particular Sale, certainly not always and certainly not everywhere, but that, that is a relevant um, component. Um, we've discussed, uh, and maybe if you need to you know, do it again, but another issue that comes up is the reductionism. Um, um, I'm not sure if we need to repeat that, so I'll just skip it, but I did have that down as being a, a big time issue is reducing down where we lose the um, the human experience that's inside of fitness. Um, and I'll, I'll parlay that now with another issue that I see. And maybe you can, uh, help with that uh, getting to possible study of fitness is that, you know, are there other examples, Robbie, where there's a phenomena that needs to be studied that's really complex and therefore it requires different models that, that are not like the traditional scientific model. Cause I I'm thinking, when you discussed about compare in, in your notes, compare and contrast si- with sciences. Um, Cause inside of fitness, there is loads and metabolism and adaptation and human behavior. Like it's a, it's complex phenomenon, right? Mm-hmm. So in a complex phenomenon and you're trying to study that um, you get into uh, Tlaib's concepts of fragility and, and systems that are not organized and how to, how to look at chaotic systems, right? And how to study those. So I see fitness as a very, very, this is my lens, okay? My lens, but a very, very complex, complex system. So if, if that is the case, and as we've defined fitness as being super complex, it just seems, seems there's so many sciences involved, Robbie. And what do you do to that? You know, what do you do in that case? Do you used to come to just saying okay it's a complex model therefore we use complex systems theory right on 
on top of that. Um, but then I have a problem with that because in anti-fragile models of that belief in fitness, um, it comes up short as well. So I'm not sure if, if uh, you have any thoughts on the complexity inside of the study of it because of just so much, so much shit in there. Yeah. I mean, I, I had two thoughts. So one thought would be maybe we could suss out. And I think this is an interesting question. Like you said, you know, you said there were so many sciences involved in studying fitness. Maybe we could suss out what sort of things can be determined by what different sciences within fitness. So for example, um, you know, anatomy and physiology, really good at like muscular contractions and uh, biochemistry at the different, you know, um, metabolic pathways, but then maybe we need, you know, psychology and sociology to, you know, help us understand the different mm-hmm. um, components of, you know, how someone reacts to a workout. So that was thought one. Yeah. Thought two is, you know, with, with quantum mechanics right now, anyone who says they have any idea what's actually going on at the fundamental level of quantum mechanics, you know, as my physics professors and philosophy of science professors would always say, like, has no idea what they're saying. Like, we're very good at predicting things, but we don't have the conceptual framework right now to actually describe that. And maybe what's going on right now is just like with other things that eventually became a science, like physics or biology, we are struggling to find the right conceptual framework to understand this very complex thing. And maybe we'll get there and we're just not there yet. So that, that yeah. could be the thing that's going on. Yeah. I think it is a complex thing. And I think it's uh, it's seemingly outside of my mind and maybe your mind, it doesn't seem worthwhile. That's another thing. Like Let's the, be honest. The, actual, the, the study of it. You think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, possibly it's like, you know, um, which I'm sure some people would, would, uh, would probably say that for uh, different kinds of studies in, in other sciences, right? It's like, this is useless. Like, how is this useless to meaning and faith, you know, I mean, and morality and origin, uh, the big four questions, you know, how, what, what's this got to do with all this, right? And vocation and play and relations. Um, so that, that, that could be a part of it. As soon as you said the, we just don't know, we, we just don't have a good framework of like the reason why to study it. That could be the case. I agree with you. And then it made me think that maybe just no one cares, right? Maybe no one cares about it because it does, that's, awesome. that's a, you know, that does have something to, some part to play, you know, in it. Maybe, maybe you and I are the only ones asking the questions, you know, just as a, as an example, right? You're the only the only two people out of eight, eight billion asking that question. Um, you know, I'm sure there's others that have it deep down in their, in their psyche, but. But as you say that, I mean, it, it does make me think of something that I think is interesting in relation to the concept of fitness we've been discussing. Maybe, and correct me if I'm wrong, this, this could be related to what you were just saying is, you know, so the, Asking is the study of fitness a science maybe as a product of a particular way of looking at fitness. And, you know, when you've talked about in past episodes and in other contexts, you know, the practice of fitness of being a lifelong thing and, you know, moving against each other in, in, you know, grade school and things like that and not measuring like elbow angle and things like that. Um, I think it's an, yeah, getting back to that, to that point, I think it is an interesting question. Um, if that is our conception of fitness and what it, what it ought to be kind of this thing that leads to mental acuity and uh, physical expression and autonomy. Um, what role does the scientific study of it 
play? Does, does it play a role? Is there more of an intuitive experiential thing that doesn't need to have, you know, these different measurements? Um, I don't yeah. know. Any thoughts there? Yeah, no, I, uh, I get, uh, no, nothing to say, but I understand what you're saying there. I can understand how we could, we could get that, uh, you know, questioning of importance just based upon how we frame what fitness is. So if we go back to that definition, um, then it's maybe, maybe it's okay that it's hard to like slap all this, uh, reduced pieces on top of it, you know? Um, but I do think, um, so yeah, I, 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 I have nothing to add to that, but I do think what it made me think about was something, something you said, said earlier, based on our definition, um, of fitness and, um, you know, is it just like, uh, um, in where I've been studying more so recently, past couple of years, my involvement with the brand X method, um, came back to my roots on my initial, you know, study of motor control and growth and development. Um, and, and my, my deepest curiosity inside of that back in my university days, I didn't know that I was so curious around just human development, but now that I have kids and I'm involved in fitness, I look at that. My whole point being is that it's well accepted inside of that model of like, not this, but reducing it to this question, what is the best fitness program for kids? you have to look at the biopsychosocial model as a base support of it. So it's, it's complementary and holistic and whole. And that's what you start with as a frame, you know, frame of reference. So then you can start asking questions. And every time you ask a question or create a theory or try to improve something, you say, is it, is it based upon our BPS concept? You know what I'm saying? So let's just take it as a, as a broader approach now and maybe what you just mentioned there is that with your example of like kids just moving around and doing it for this, just figuring out how well they do it and if they can adapt and, and get better over time. Um, maybe we have to take all those things into consideration, right? So, and maybe we just have to come to the fact that it is a complex area and it doesn't mean you negate science in that just because it's complex. Maybe you just like have a framework of biopsychosocial um, as being that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and there's probably more to that, but, uh, um, like there's been other models in, in, uh, in the, the study of pain that have led to some real great contributions into understanding pain better. Right. And they moved beyond the BPS model into what some people call a 5e model, but it's more, um, uh, more, uh, uh, cognitive based and neuroscience based and, and behavioral based, right. It's deep, it's deep to understand pain. Right. But, but they were able to study it <laughs> because they created this frame of reference, right? As to how they're defining pain. So I'm, I'm talking a lot here, but I think as if we define fitness better, I think it'll get us back to being able to have a base support to study fitness as a science. I yeah, I think so too. And a few things come to mind there. One is, um, so in philosophy of science, people talk about, you know, the negatives of scientific reductionism and scientism kind of saying that everything is reducible to, you know, quantitative stuff. And, and maybe, you know, as you've said in previous episodes, you know, studying kids knee angles or hip angles or, or different things like that in, in certain contexts kind of ends up being really reductionist. But I, I do think there's an extent to which, like you said, if we do define fitness correctly, 
there are facts of the matter about what increases mental acuity. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. there just are facts of the matter about as humans, you know, um, yes, we have different brains and things like that, but there are facts of the matter about which physical activity tends to lead towards better neurotransmitter function. That's something that can be studied by neurology. Now you may need to go to other aspects to explore the phenomenology of like, what's that actual experience like that, mm -hmm. you know, that's a different thing, but science I think can contribute to, questions like how do we improve our physical capacities how do we improve our mental acuity there there is a role for yes. science yes yeah and we're just agreeing i guess we're both agreeing that it would just be it's complex it's a lot to it if you're going to put all those things in there right because we only mentioned a couple right just mental acuity and capacity but there's like you know step three four five six seven eight nine yeah um and yeah i, I like that because it it was timely for me i just listened to a um, these uh, two neuroscientists who were musicians speak the other day. And so they were, it was tying in this, this topic perfectly of like uh, the arts and the music having this, like um, it's hard to touch it, you know, but, but some music can make some people cry. Right. And so what they're, or like even Jackson Pollock, you know, uh, images can make some people just like spend an hour looking at it. You know what I'm saying? And I look at my children's drawing. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> that's somewhat similar. But right. my whole point is that sometimes inside the art, it's very tough to connect some scientific application, but these guys have done a super job of like tying in how, for example, jazz musicians, when they hear different music, different parts of their brain light up differently than other other people who are not jazz musicians hear that same music. You see that? So yes. like it actually can be studied, right? There's there is some like science to it. I just think it it takes uh it's in depth. So that's what I got from from uh, my whole meandering around the complexity of it. Just accept it. It's gonna be complex and you're gonna have to wrap some stuff around it, but not forgetting what our definition is, right? Because it could go off into Neverland, I think, if we don't, if we lose sight of what the definition is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, maybe that's, you know, again, going back to this thing philosophy does about asking what is the nature of the thing? Maybe the nature of the study of fitness is such that unlike other things like chemistry, it just involves all these other different sciences. I mean, yeah, chemistry can involve other sciences. It can yeah, involve yeah. biochemistry and you could have, you know, physics and things like that. But, um, fitness just involves so many different aspects. Um, it's not a purely cultural phenomena. Yeah. It's not a purely biological phenomena. It's, yeah. you know, it's got aspects of both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a, an idea or analogy of another area that uh, you could add to the list you just proposed there or just where there's other complex phenomena that, that has the, ha, has had success in it becoming a science or a study of? Well, I mean, so that's where I got, that's where I got kind of frustrated of um, looking at science in that lens many years back led me to fragility models or, or systems um, just understanding systems. My form, my mentor um, who passed many years ago, Bernie Nowakowski Im embedded that in my brain on like, uh, you know, trying to understand systems or systematic thinking. Um, which led me to just like trying to see systems everywhere, of course, which of course biases me in my lens, but um, that kind of, it kind of led me to, um, you know, it didn't lead me to much because I got kind of frustrated. Understanding is just complex, you know? 
The main one that's coming to mind right now in this, you know, none of these things are ever perfect analogy would be perfect analogies would be physics. So I mean, optics, thermodynamics, electromagnetism, mechanics, um, astronomy, these all used to be kind of disparate disciplines. And now we've progressively gotten to a point where, yeah, they have their own people studying them and their own conclusions and things like that. But, you know, there are these four main forces at least currently that we know of mm -hmm. that are governing mm -hmm. all these different things. So yeah. um, maybe that's a great example. Maybe there's some of us that didn't even recognize it, but thank you for your you know, recognition of that. Oh, no problem. And I, I mean, you know, part of the hard part with, you know, part of where the physics analogy breaks down, although I think it can be useful is a, there's no like practice of physics the way there's a practice of fitness yeah and essentially the human component is kind of there's discussions about it but it's not as central as it is to fitness so we have to get into things like psychology and sociology yeah and yeah nature. yeah i know and that becomes robust yeah you know um because we you know we haven't even talked about the um or you know just adding inside of that just take one component of psychology right of um of intrinsic behaviors just that alone you know that alone is is real complex and if that's added inside of it then that has to be imparted in the study right so if you're going to study it and you want control oh man it just becomes yeah becomes it becomes mixed modal that's what it becomes robbie it's multimodal mixed modal science <laughs> mixed modal science that's what it's going to turn into um is is how do you put, how do you put all, well, this is interesting, right? How do you put all those things together and how do they all work together? Right. Um, and, and, uh, and maybe it's, maybe I'll come up against some of those issues I had with, uh, just the black box thinking with regards to fitness, you know, um, is that the, again, the human's experience and, uh, and their capability of expression that largely dictates what they should be doing right? What they should be doing. Not, not what they can do is what they should be doing. And, uh, and you don't fix that just by like giving someone a band and another person saying, you know, do this many reps. It's, it's gotta be personalized. Right. Yeah. But within that, I mean, <clears throat> you can have, it's personalized to the person, but it's the personalization is based on general things that have been discovered about what tends to yes. you know yield certain results and then it's it's you know made specific to that person within that yeah 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 what you made me what you make me think about there is just the starting like uh starting points to what has probably been done in study of some certain elements already is you know having some controls around the age and their experience right so like 16 to 17 year old females in a cohort studying leg strength you know, I mean, you're probably going to get some things from that. Yeah. Right. Um, not fitness though, but you know, it's probably got to do with who's going to get injured, peak height, weight, velocity changes and what it led to and proprioception at the knee, et cetera. So, um, yeah. So one question that might help tie things together a bit is, you know, so we said earlier that, um, one of the goals of science is to explain and predict things in the definition you've been proposing of fitness 
if there were to be a study of, of true fitness, not just, you know, performance or aesthetics, mm-hmm. what, what sort of things should the study of fitness try to explain? What, what are we seeking to understand better? Like what phenomena are we trying to get at in the world and understand and explain better? Yeah, I would, the first things that come to mind is uh, adaptation, you know, um, how, how those humans adapt to the experience. Yeah, that's what I would look at. Um, also, um, you know, holding on to the theoretical beacon, right? Like, does it lead to good mental acuity, physical function and right. capabilities for any task and a real, you know, a really happy 85 year old, you know, right. um, you know, that's, that's the two things I think about is, uh, what would be, we look inside of that. But I think there's, there'd be some, um, deeper pieces, um, that Sapolsky has, you know, clearly done a really good job of looked at already inside of that. But I think if you put fitness on top of that with different intentions, it would be parallel stuff you would look at, which is like, how are you adapting to this stuff? Cause inside of that is like, um, behaviors, um, awareness of the tasks, um, intentions. It's just so many, you know, so many things inside of it that how someone adapts would be the ultimate measurement of adjustment, you know? Right. So that's what I think. Yeah. Okay. So things like, you know, I mean, multiple different things there, but how muscle grows or neurotransmitters function or. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, uh, the thing I proposed member on uh, the post-workout nutrition task the other day is to is I talked about like what is the dose right and if you if you understand what the dose is and what the what the or yeah so if you understand what the dose is then you got to look back at what the expression was right and so in like to your point what would be measured in that is you know you know humans do something and then we just see what happens afterwards because that's an indication of how well they adapted to what they just did Does that make sense so yeah. it just it would just be the measurement of that ongoing and the uh, and then as I, as well, I believe there's there's two stark different models in that based upon how resilient someone is that it can go to a net negative long term adaptation right I, I call it compensatory adaptation uh, which again needs to be studied and clearly thought out because it could look really good someone could be leaner and more you know fit right but it depends on what you're measuring. Right. right. Whereas someone over there is actually improving an adaptation, but it takes 16 years to see the constant little, little adaptations that led to positive. Right. right. Make sense. Yes. So that's where, that's where I, I believe, you know, um, again, then adaptation would have to be defined really clearly. And then the issues, which I talked about as well is time and space screws everything up, you know, <laughs> the time it would take to to get all that looked at would be another challenging thing but yeah so the adjustment that a person makes i guess is the is the key thing right the adjustment how well did you adjust to that okay Mm. Yeah. And I think, I mean, that I would, you know, if you're okay with it, that'd be awesome to dig deeper on because I think, and this is a problem within philosophy of science as well, like, you know, scientific experiments are set up to measure things, mm-hmm. but what quantities are we measuring? Like we talked about with, you know, things like 
A1C or velocity or aesthetics or performance? Like, are these the relevant things that we want to measure? And even if they are the relevant things, are they just reduction, you know, reductionist? Are we missing a big piece of the, uh, yeah. the puzzle? Yeah, well, I think based upon, I'll just use, you know, the idea that I talk about for, you know, giving a program design that's just slightly in front of someone. If we were actually to create science around that, you know, I think that we could be getting somewhere because it's also answering like how well you did adjust to that task or that, you know, how well you adapted. If you don't know what I mean, remember I talk about, I have my hands on the screen here, so I'll try to describe it better. When someone does something as a physical expression, ultimately in that physical expression, we want all systems challenged slightly, right? So essentially what we'd be looking at, Robbie, would be the difference in scientific study and measurement, the difference in what is a slight overreach of that session and what is too much in that session. So you actually can, and this would be, uh, you know, probably in your wheelhouse currently, uh, which I know from uh, FDN studies and, and uh, homeostasis and, and adaptation is, you know, you actually can measure as an example, salivary cortisol uh, post-exercise in a, every 20 minutes for like two hours to see how well those systems come back to zero. Do you see that? So that could be an indication. That's a measurement, right? That's a measurement. You just did something. So do you see what I'm saying? So how do we put science inside of that for adaptation and measurement? Maybe we need to come up with some ways that are, that clearly organize like what you just did, right? And how, how well you're adapting is largely indicated by how fast you recover. You see that? To, and we, and I think that can be studied, right? That can be studied. But I think we're just so, we're so excited about just, you know, smashing shit, you know, um, and salvation that we, we forget like, you just need a little, you just need something a little bit more. <laughs> right. And then that's what's leading to our definition of adaptation long-term. And I take it it would be a mixture of subjective and objective elements. So for example, most definitely you'd have RPE in there and feelings of exertion and whatnot. And then it would, it would have to be some truth in the matter of like, right. I just want you to do one more rep today. <laughs> you know, right. Like don't do three more, do one more rep, right. you know? Um, but as you can imagine, um, trying to like, connect some positivity to that compliance without people being pulled into the void of like just madness and savagery is, is tough. And I think even with that, you know, going back to what we were saying about like, you know, fitness is so complex. How can we even get a handle on things? Just like other sciences that had to develop over time, you know, we could start out with these basic measurements of, you know, is your time on the air bike just slightly better? And what's your, you know, rate of perceived exertion. Yeah. And then, maybe as we go on, we get better at measuring nervous system expression and we get measured, you know, different things that we can't really as accurately measure now that adds to that picture. But now we just have these kind of um, smaller windows into. Yes. Yes. And I think that uh, as you, we mentioned earlier, I think it just might not be the time we may not have like just to make fun of it. I think we would have to set someone up with 12 machines every workout session. You know, like very complex and very expensive. Um, and then over time, I believe there'll be like, you know, your phone will connect to your heart rate and maybe we'll, maybe a heart rate variability will go like uh, meta, meta heart rate variability testing, which they start seeing, you know, different other systems that are connected to heart rate variability we never decided to look at. 
Do you know what I mean? Maybe heart rate variability is not going to just show us the difference between beats in a two minute time frame, right? Maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe, maybe when, maybe there's like five different versions of the HRV in that two minute time frame that give us indications of it. You see what I'm saying, right? So um, over time, I I would hope that, you know, uh, our, you know, our stuff that we give off uh, can be measured so that we can quickly see right away to my point, the fitzometer, you know, where someone, someone finishes a workout and uh, I'm just on the screen going like this, you know, like, that was overreaching. <laughs> it shows me with a cane, right? Do you want to be yeah. like this? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think that may. It's like one of those speedometers that like shows you your. Yes. Yes. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> my, my Tesla does that. <laughs> my three just, you know, screams at me and sends loud signals and animals. So it's capable. We're capable. And uh, you're giving, you're giving it hope, Robbie. I appreciate that. <laughs> Yeah, the thing I'm the analogy I'm kind of thinking of, at least in kind of the FDN health world, um, is you know for a while fasting blood glucose was kind of the thing, and then you know post meal and then A1C and now things like Glycomark and other things, but just successively better um, yes. windows into what what's actually going on. Yeah, and to that point, like you know, it was the constant philosophizing on if it's the right method that got them to that right? It's asking questions like, you know, yeah, those iterations of people that, you know, take it and didn't have massive flux, right? Or people that were misdiagnosed, right? right. Or, you know, then it's like, hmm, you know, scratching our head. So let's look at something more, right? And then you get people come in who weren't those practitioners way over here, who I called them like the, the healers, right? Because that's really what I had in my own head. They come in, they're like, maybe you need to think about it differently, Right. And then all of a sudden medicine goes, yes, maybe we should look at this blood sugar management over like a two month process. It's like, and then, well, how do we, me- you see where it goes, right? How do we measure that? Well, we look at right. these markers and they look at us, oh my God, inflammation is kind of important, you know? It's, um, so, and then they're, now they're connecting it, you know, now they're probably connecting it incorrectly to a lot of other things because it seems, you know, as a, as another idea that's, that's really good, but we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah. So I guess now that we have a good starting handle on like what we would, what the study of fitness would try to explain, I think that was great discussion around adaptation. Um, What are some, and we've talked in the past about some things you think we know in fitness. So we've talked a bit about that, Mm -hmm. but what are some things that we don't currently know in the study of fitness that you would like to see explained? This kind of goes back to, I'd pose kind of the, what were the unsolved problems in fitness, what are, what are some things you would like to see explained that have not yet been successfully explained? Yeah. Yeah. The first one that comes to mind is a a model to, uh, to show uh, what I have observed as uh, better decision-making and better and clear thinking on, uh, on compliance of fitness. Um, I think that one would be, would shut the case, would, would close, close, close everything. Uh, You could just imagine, you know, if uh, there was a really, well studied process where it was like these group of people who participated in constant fitness slightly outside of their capabilities for 10 years. And they all made these unbelievable advancements in uh, self-awareness and measured psychological evaluation. Just imagine that. Right. So that's where I think uh, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, 
<laughs> that would close the case. <laughs> no, I mean, it would be a super good evidence. Now, in your mind, is it? You know, and there's, there's, a, there's a deeper reason for that, as you know. It's like it's got nothing to do with looking good naked, right? It's got, right. It's got everything to do with the intentions around making good decisions. Right. And clear exactly. thinking. Yeah. Do you think it's an issue of currently we don't have the proper means either via neurotransmitter testing or psychological testing to determine that? Or do you think it just, the experiments have not been done? Uh, I'm more of a skeptic. I think the intentions are not there to study it. Yeah. Yeah. More pessimistic in that view of it that, uh, um, you know, it's probably looked at in different ways or probably hijacked information over, right? Some neurotransmitter information pulled over, but like, oh, this can do this, right? Guaranteed you can see it in the high intensity model efforts or something um, or intermittent fasting or something like that, right? But uh, yeah, that's what I'd like. That's, that's one area. What was your question again? See if I can come up with another one that I'd like to see studied. Uh, it was basically, it was, it was kind of going back to that in principle versus like in fact question. So like, with regard to mental acuity and fitness, is it the fact that in principle right now, we don't have the... Oh, no. No, I got th I got that one. I meant the original question on what I'd like to see. What was the question I'd like? Oh, I'd like yeah, to yeah. Uh, yeah. What, are, um, what are some things you'd like to see the study of fitness explain that have not yet been explained? Mm, yeah, another one I'd like to see explained is um, some of the complications in individualizing um, exercise energy expenditure. Because I think we're I think we're thirty years behind on the on dose effective exercise, right? Like, man, we still use jump rope models as far as energy exercise expenditure and how that relates into like what so because you know where that's going to get itchy is that it's going to bump up against the laws uh, thermogenic laws right and that's where that's where you'll get really itchy in the nutritional sciences um because um i really i really do think from my observations thus far that we're going to have to really rethink that whole concept of those equations of energy in energy out based upon what actual physical expression does. And I don't think the physical expression study has been done enough, right? We've put a few young guys in a lab and said, do some weights. Oh, that's what the calories you burn, you know? I don't know why it sounds like a Texan studying every time, but um, you know, that's where we've come. And we haven't moved much further than that, right? Why? Because we mentioned earlier, it's fairly complex, but um, you know, just think about this, like think about up to 2005, how many people did thruster and pull-up workouts all out for five minutes up to 2005, right? Like almost zero, right? So from 2005 to now, how many people in the periphery have done that, right? Fucking millions, right? So, and what's our base support of what we got to work on? Like what you actually did there as a dose response, as well as what's the effect biochemically and meta metabolic wise, this is what we do. It's probably something like running. <laughs> That's our answer. That's our answer. Honestly, you know, what's still inside of the energy equation for weight loss studies, right? They're like, Oh, well, you studied this weight loss and people did weight training for three times a week. And this was their energy expenditure. And this is the food they took in. And that's why they got leaner. You know, it's like, man, what an archaic model. So that's right. That's where I think, uh, we could make some steps. I, I think it would start to really flip our concept of the dose response of uh, exercise.
and met metabolic effects. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's something that a lot of people don't understand. Like just to give you an example, like literally the other day we had um, a question from a client about why did my husband burn 300 more calories than I did with the same workout? And people just have no sense of like, well, the Fitbit says the calories, but like, what are, what are the models based on? Again, this is where the philosophy comes in. Like mm -hmm. you just based on this running model of college aids kids or jump rope model or what have you, you're going to get certain data out and like what things specifically were you measuring? Yeah. You know, you yeah. might miss a whole slew of things that weren't contained within those specific measurements. Yeah. So, yeah. Female 35 pounds less, you know, a couple of reps done less like because they don't know that's the mathematical equation, right? Height and weight, age, gender put into it. Beep. That's what's going to end up happening. And they're like, where do they get that? Well, it's METS, METs based upon a calorimetry calculation from 1986. Like people, people don't, they're not getting that, right? It's like 1986, has it moved much since then? Not a lot, man. Not a lot, right? And there'll be a number of people who will argue against my, my point there who are probably in a lab looking at some more specific things on metabolic outputs and effects, but the individualization approach based upon what's practiced in fitness is like really archaic. So I'd like to see, I'd like to see some, some study done there or some inching into it. I think, I think uh, not to pat myself on the back, but I think I'm, I'm asking those tougher questions today that may move that a little bit further forward, right? On my concepts of intention, modality, and person dictating the dose, right? Because what we have in place now for science is the modality dictates the dose. That's it. Not the intentions, right? We, you know, cause people are like, Oh, that's, that's hard to study based on what people's beliefs going into is like, you got to talk about that, right? That has to be inside of it. To my point, like if people really want to lose weight, they will go in with the intention of doing it for the action of losing weight. And if you don't think that's not connected to intentions that result in changes in motor unit composition uptake, or sorry, uh, activation and like, et cetera, and thermogenic response, you're sorely missing the boat. You're sorely missing the boat. So you can get two people on a treadmill doing the exact same fucking thing as you're measuring but two of them have different beliefs. Oof, right? That, that's, that's, a, that's a rough one, but hey. But we know it to be the case, right? We see it, we see it in muscle activation. That's, that was so fortunate to be a part of that work where you know, I would ask, uh, we would do arousal, right? Based upon this electricity charge into someone's bicep and studying like how much activation they have. And I remember Paul White, one of my uh, friends and colleagues and someone who's in a study, he was scared to death of this, right? Um, and I knew that that was going to lead to a change in what I was going to see in the maximal voluntary uh, recruitment. And so prior to it, one of the tests, I had to kind of like just try to calm him down and then full well knowingly that uh, he was just going to get it and just have to react to it. <laughs> and then down the road, you know, I do it again with him and uh, I'm just like pumping him up. Right. I'm just like basically everything besides kicking him in the in the nards basically right slapping them on the traps and like you can do this whitey you know um and sure shit you know even though the tension was the same on the on the score the activation was different think about that that blew my fucking mind right that blew my mind so you know what what stuff you're going to have in there for arousal and intentions do have a part to play in in that sorry i was lengthy on that but shout out to whitey and uh <laughs> His, his bicep and electrical charges. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with that point. And I think, you know, this, this also, and this also gets to a really interesting question about 
that we'll probably get to next time as well um, about the relationship between science and fitness where, like I was saying before, there is no such thing as the practice of physics or the practice of chemistry. Like um, <laughs> there's just the science of it, you know, they're theoretical and experimental versions, but with fitness, we might say kind of like with um, functional medicine or something like that, there's a research scientific laboratory component that can tell us certain things. But going back to what you're saying, there's a whole clinician, coach, client thing that tells us a whole different, maybe the same, but re related set of things that you can't um, get necessarily as well from the laboratory setting around intention and the person and things like that. So it's, it's, it's not like physics where you can just, oh, I can set up this experiment, do this, do this thing like that. There's a tremendous amount that goes into the study of fitness that comes from the coach-client relationship that can't just be done in a lab. Yes, yes. That's the, yeah. That's, again, that's the, that's the deeper complexities inside of it. But I think what we've learned today is that we just got to accept that it is complex and we may have to use uh, some good questioning to figure out how to create some balancing support on that complexity, right, to study it. So. Yeah. I think we did get somewhere with that, which I appreciate. Um, yeah, I think that was a pretty good discussion. You have any, yeah. have any final thoughts? No, um, I, I feel good about that. It feels like a good meal. Um, we, uh, I learned some things, which is always why I'm here. So I appreciate that. Um, you did crack open a little space in my brain uh, for some of those thoughts. And you asked some good questions on some things that we can look forward to studying. Um, it is, it is, it has, uh, inspired me. Um, I went through a really deep, you know, scientific investigation, not entirely of every living moment, but from the mid nineties till, you know, the, the 2005, six, seven. Um, and I kind of moved away from it. And, uh, over the past couple of years, I've been digging more back into this topic on uh, science and fitness. So I appreciate the topic because it's made me, it's inspired me to, to keep fighting the fight on uh, asking some good questions and not, not giving into um, just getting exhausted by, um, by seeing that there may not be many answers right in front of me. So I appreciate it. Yeah. And I always learn something and I, yeah, I mean, I appreciate your philosophical thinking on these subjects. I think that's kind of what inspired this in the first place is just, again, going back to the post-workout nutrition or like, we have all this science on stuff, but like, what question is it asking? Like you're one of the few people that I've, I've engaged with who's asking that, like <laughs> we're asking about what the best post-workout thing is to have, but like, why are we asking that question in the first place for health and like just those deeper philosophical questions about like, why is science investigating this in the first place and what, Things should we be investigating and that's that's really where philosophy comes in and helps you know uh with the study of fitness i think so yeah yeah great so hopefully we've inspired some people who are listening in to do that to ask some of those questions now and and maybe propose to us what a uh, third or fourth or fifth thing that you just asked me at the end that we could get into for that yeah. um, which would be really helpful um so it'll be a part two uh do you think we need to dig a little bit more in terms of the uh the back and forth between these two uh, science and fitness. Yeah, but I'm uh, I'm I'm open to uh, whatever you know path we want to pursue. I think it would be interesting uh, to explore just a bit more, like what sort of things could the study of fitness tell us, and what 
could it not? And what can the coach client relationship tell us that the study of fitness cannot? I agree. I agree. You've already stated that. I forgot already. So yeah, there's a lot more to that. So um, that, it, that is that way till the next time. Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Jane.